Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Traver Bohm, your host. What you're about to hear is one of my live episodes of Unplugged. Unplugged is when I bring a guest in, pack a Zoom room, and we have a live conversation. And tonight's conversation was I found out I had a limit on Zoom of only 100 people because more than 100 people showed up to try to listen. This is Laura McCallan. Laura is the author of the book, The Luckiest Club, and the creator of the exact thing, The Luckiest Club. And Laura was sharing her journey into sobriety. So this is a serious conversation. There's some amazing gems in here of Laura talking about when she realized she was hitting rock bottom, how she got herself out of it, how she didn't just go sober all of a sudden and then stay like that forever, but had some ups and downs. So she really openly shares her story and whether you drink or don't drink or anything in between, I know you're going to get a ton out of this conversation. So please enjoy Laura McCallan. Let's take a breath and close our eyes. And just let everything that happened today or is on your mind slip away and see if you can be fully present in your body. You very quickly place one hand on your stomach, one hand on your heart. Feel the balance of the energies that you carry in your body, one of power in your stomach, your ability to affect change, your ability to create change, and then in your heart, the ability to have empathy, kindness, compassion, and love. And perhaps let these two energies swirl for a minute. They may not be that familiar with each other, but they want to be. Let's take two more breaths together. Breathe in and blow it out. One more and out. Beautiful, and then at your own pace, begin to slowly blink your eyes open. And let's rock and roll. All right, gang, welcome to Uncivilized Unplugged. For those of you who are new to this, uh, you got the email. I was challenged a little over a year ago to do a podcast, and I didn't want to do it, and I didn't like doing it. And so I, they asked, well, what was missing? And I was like, people. And so this idea came about long before Zoom was a thing. And so it's the frame of tonight is I want it to feel like you're sitting in a living room and Laura and I are just having a, a friend conversation. We don't have a script. We don't really have anything that we're going to go off of. We're just going to dive in and share so much of her story. And tonight we are talking about alcohol. 
We're talking about sobriety. We're talking about addiction, but really we're talking about pain. We're talking about loss and we're talking about how we deal with it. Laura, thank you so much for staying up this late and joining us. I really do appreciate you <laughs> and for, for having me in, in your group as well. If you wouldn't mind, for people who are new to you, and I know this is kind of a male-dominated question when I've been asked to ask it for women, I've been asked to ask it a different way, but what are you building in this world or what are you birthing in this world or what are you creating in this world? Yeah, I like that question. Thank you. Um, my mission, I guess, is... I believe there's nothing more precious than the pain of waking up to your life. And I knew that even before I heard you talk about pain, mm. uh, I've said, that's the mountain I'm willing to die on. That is the, there's nothing more precious than that. And my entryway or invitation was through addiction. And so I can, I understand it and I can talk to people about it. And I don't think you, addiction is unique. I think it's, it, it is actually quite boring. <laughs> it is written into our, you know, our human nature. And so my, what I am birthing is really changing the conversation entirely about addiction and how we look at, at it. Beautiful. I love the idea of changing the conversation because it needs to be changed. And as a wordy, I would love for you to just tease out why you say it's so precious. Mm. That's such a beautiful word, especially around yeah. a topic that's often it doesn't go with. Yeah, because there's an opportunity in there. We get these moments in our life like where we have an invitation mm -hmm. and the invitation can come through anything. Uh, it's usually a, a great pain, right? But um, addiction, divorce, death, being very sick, losing something, you know, someone, someone or something, um, a big transition. And there's an invitation there and, and, and it's an opportunity. It, I say it's precious because it's precious because we have to make a choice, right? We don't recognize it as an opportunity very often. Right. And, um, and man, everything that I really wanted, really wanted and chased in drinking uh, was on the other side of that. And I, and I, and, and there's just, there's this, when I first got sober, I remember thinking like, this is precious. Like this thing that I'm trying to build and protect is like, this is a new life, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's where that comes from. I love it. Tell me more about everything that you were chasing when you were drinking, being on the other side, because I think that's the, the cycle that so many people get caught in and love to just agree with you that we're all addicted to something. Oh and yeah. There's, there's a lot of stigma and shame and, and kind of crap flying around. And anytime someone's like, well, why don't people just quit? I go, okay, tell me about your coffee uh, habit in the morning. How, how good are yeah. you at getting oh, there's coffee? Okay. So yeah, if you could, what was it that you were chasing and how did it show up on the other side? Yeah. And I, I definitely want to go back to the, why don't you just quit thing at some point? Sure. Um, <laughs> so, oh man, what was I chasing? You know, I didn't, I wasn't really conscious of what I was chasing until I had to start to put down, but, uh, Early on, alcohol 
I noticed made me feel the way I needed to feel or wanted to feel, you know, and, and couldn't feel. Um, it was, you know, late in high school that I started drinking and I had a, I had this moment that sort of answers this entire question. And it was a moment where I had a really bad eating disorder. So, you know, already what, what that is about is trying to control how you feel. Right. And there were all kinds of, I grew up in a family, like a lot of people were, we didn't talk about much. I had several divorces, you know, my parents were married and divorced, not to each other, but different people several times. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of um, dysfunction and I didn't have any tools for that. I just sort of learned to move on. And like, I, I actually grew very proud of, I got told how strong I was, Mm. right. You, You don't cry. And Um, you're just so resilient. Right. And I was like, well, I'm resilient. That means I don't feel anything. Right. And I don't show that I feel anything. And that has a toll as we know, and it started to have a toll really early. Um, I was, you know, insecure about how I looked and I didn't know what to do with guys. Like all my friends seemed to know what to do. And I didn't really understand Um, I didn't know how to flirt. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And so there was some typical insecurities, but then there was also this feeling like I just, um, I was really uncomfortable a lot of the time. And so I had this really bad eating disorder. And I remember it was my high school graduation party. And I was like, it was at my family restaurant. So we shut it all down. And um, I, I was able to make myself drinks at that point. Nobody cared. And I, you know, at the be- the beginning of that day, I had all these nerves. I was like, what does my body look like? Like, I'm, you know, I think this guy that works at the restaurant is so cute. And how do I flirt with him? And I'm going off to college and oh my God, what's happening? And I know my, my stepfather and my mom are probably getting divorced. I think that's what's happening, but I can't really tell. And, um, you know, there's all this stuff. There's this really unhealthy relationship with my dad and it was just all in there, right? And I went to the party and started pouring myself drinks, Bacardi Limon and Diet Coke. And after like two drinks, I remember pouring the third and I poured it really heavy. And I remember like my body just relaxed and I got that like warm, numb feeling. And I remember thinking, if I can stay this way, everything will be okay. Hmm. And I remember like those exact, that line running through my head, like I'm going to stay this way, Yeah. you know? And if I can, like I can do whatever. Cause I felt like I could do anything then. Everything was easier. I knew the words to say. I felt fine in my body. I wasn't having these obsessive thoughts about it. I wasn't worried about the future and everything that was going on in my family with my family. And I really chase that. Like, that's what I was chasing this, this okayness. And it starts to like be, okay, I'm uncomfortable in this way. Well, I can drink and make it okay. I'm uncomfortable going to parties and talking to guys. Uh, I can make it okay. I can be funny and I can be fun. And I started drinking. So I knew what to do with having sex. Cause I didn't know what to do. And so that became so closely linked, right? So it's like, I don't know how to 
date or talk to guys or have sex or anything without alcohol. So I was chasing that comfort there, that ease. And then it gets linked with work. So I was chasing like making connections. Uh, so it's impossible to quantify everything that I was chasing, but it just gets yoked to everything that like all the ways in which I operated in the world and especially the ways I connected to people and dealt with my own feelings of whatever they were, any uncomfortable feeling, right? I really thought you just have a little booze. And we also get told this. It's like, we get a lot of support for this. You have a little booze and everything's cool. Yeah. And the reality is obviously that it doesn't ever carry you all the way there. You're sort of like stunting yourself the entire time because you aren't developing in the ways that you need to develop to become a whole person. But that's what I was chasing. I was chasing just to be okay. And then towards the end, I mean, I was just drowning shame and the memories of all my mistakes and sometimes just trying to feel better physically. And, yeah, you know, so the, the stakes, it's like, once the addiction gets a little deeper, it's, there's different reasons, you know? Yeah. Um, it's almost like I was just doing it by rote. There was nothing that I didn't do really that didn't involve drinking. I, my work, I surrounded myself with work people who drank and my social circles drank. And it was just, it was just a foregone conclusion that that's what happened. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I think you hit the nail on the head with whether it's alcohol, whatever the, the addiction is or whatever the, um, the, the numbing is, it's the, I need to, I don't feel okay in this world. I especially don't feel okay with other people, but even there's a lot of folks who don't feel okay on their own. Totally. That to me was the, oh, I actually do feel okay after quitting drinking. Oh, I can, I had to learn some stuff. Like I have to learn how to walk into a wedding. I have to learn how to dance. Again, I have to learn how to have sex. I have to learn how to approach the scariest creature on earth, the human female, and say like, oh, I'm Learn Hello. how to go through all of this stuff. Yeah. Which it seems so basic, but yet we are not taught this. It's not, not basic. Like how to be okay in the world as a freshman in high school, like, okay, all the freshmen come here. Like this year, you're just going to learn to be okay in the world because your worlds are probably really weird. Oh, you have stuff going on at home? We'll teach you how to be okay with that stuff too. Again, it's here's the Pythagorean theorem, which is mm -hmm. super useful. Was there, I, I imagine there's the day when it all blew up or you came to the realization that this can no longer go on. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, there were, there were lots and lots of days, you know, uh, and moments and you know, years really leading up to what was sort of my moment. But um, the the moment came for me when I woke up the day, the morning after my brother's wedding in July of 2013, I had traveled to Colorado to go there with my daughter. Um, I was separated at the time. So it was just me and her, she was the flower girl. I was in the wedding and I woke up in a hotel room that was not my hotel room. And my daughter was somewhere else and I had left her alone all night mm. because I was blackout drunk. Mm. And uh, I woke up to texts um, from my mom and my brother saying, where are you? Emails from the hotel. Mm. And, you know, by the grace of God, she, this little four-year-old wandered out of the hotel room and ended up finding my family. 
Um, but that was, that was the moment, you mm. know, where I was like, okay, I really don't know what's going to happen when I drink anymore. Yeah. Um, and man, there had been a DUI, there had been so many horrific things, like really mm. horrific things. That wasn't the first, but it was the first that involved my daughter, which mm. I thought even in my, like, even if in my most unconscious state, I'll find my way back to her. Right. And it was public. Like my family was there. And I honestly don't know, Trevor, if I would have sought out sobriety after that, if my family didn't know, like if it was just me, I don't know, which is, I say that because it's, you know, I was out of my mind. I was out of my mind. So that was not when I got sober though, but that was what started me on the path. Like okay. I, I had never considered actually stopping drinking mm. as crazy as it was. Um, I had never considered like, Oh yeah. I, and I knew alcohol was like the thing yeah. <laughs> that was, I knew it, but I couldn't know it. Right. Um, that got me into, you know, first, my first AA meeting and it was a year and a half later that I actually stopped. Um, and you know, everyone always wants to know, okay, so then why did you finally stop? And it's impossible to say, but it's something like I knew at that point I was not physically addicted. I had spent a lot of time that year and a half sober. I got glimpses of it. Right. And I knew I had this dream of being, of, of being a writer and I started to write and I knew that those two things could never coexist. I knew that if I kept drinking, that was never going to happen. And I thought, I haven't gotten sober and be your, your, you, that dream dies. I couldn't do it. Um, there's this, there's this thing that I read. Um, it's a gospel of St. Thomas. And I always talk about it because it's so powerful for me, but it was, it says, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. Hmm. And if you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Wow. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, that's what's happening to me. Like the alcohol was going to kill me for sure. Right. But that death of my potential was a spiritual death that I couldn't tolerate. Yeah. This is kind of an abstract question. I pre I really appreciate you sharing just the the openness about your family and your daughter and and that whole situation. Do you think you were drinking on some level to keep that writing in? Was there a fear of letting that full expression come out into the world, or was it that that for thing, sure? Yeah. Would you mind? Did that oh, develop yeah. over that year and a half too? Was that like, were there glimpses of that as well? And can you yeah, share yeah, yeah. the journey of that year and a half before it fully hit? I love yeah, you. I mean... <laughs> Thank you. <I> love you. <laughs> um, there were, I do believe we're afraid. I, I knew, um, I write about this in my book. I knew from like a pretty young age, I, I felt like I had this big energy. That's the only phrase I had for it or idea I had, you know, to call it was I have big energy. And I knew I had something inside of me that I didn't know what it was. But once I started, I was afraid of that. I think we're honestly all afraid of that. Like the whole Marianne Williamson, it is not our darkness that we fear, but our light. 
it's so it's so fucking true and um because that shit is powerful you know like the power that's in you is is scary um so yes I knew I wanted to be a writer but I didn't know like I didn't it's really hard to write I'm not like a fiction writer I wanted to write about my life it's really hard to write about your life when you're lying to everyone about everything like there isn't much to say that's like, inconvenient yeah very inconvenient <laughs> so I remember like reading it's so funny I remember reading I think it was actually Glennon Doyle's blog like it used to be monastery like yeah, yeah. years ago yeah and she had this little bio where she's she was like you know I have mom of three a recovered alcoholic blah 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 blah, blah. and I was like oh my god she just says it like that I want to do that I want to just say it like that it was like Laura okay you have to get sober then <laughs> like you gotta get sober and so I started to write long before I was sober against the you know the advice of friends and family who thought that was a terrible idea but I started to write and I started to taste what that felt like mm. to do it and um so yeah I, but I was afraid of it for sure yeah I think that's a big point that's often overlooked I it's it may get pushed as the and I've even said it, like you've got to find something more important to you than drinking or, or whatever your addiction is but yet a lot of people then go, okay, I have to go search something out and cr make it my replacement as opposed mm. to sitting like, what are you sitting on? That oh. is just like a caged animal in your chest that wants to come through you. And you're like, fuck, if, it, if that comes through me, then people may not like me. Or if that comes through me, I may get in trouble. I may get blah, blah, all the thing, all the reasons why we tell ourselves we can't do the things that we are actually going to do. Yeah. When yeah, you, as Augustine Burroughs says, is he says yes. the truth is very inconvenient, and it's expensive. <laughs> this is how, right? That was this is how, such yeah. a great book. So, if you guys are listening, read that book. This is how. It's a it's a powerhouse. There there's some uncomfortable parts, and yet it is a powerhouse of a book. And you actually, I gotta mention a point about that book sure. because that is that was a moment for me when I so. I like it had been a year since my brother's wedding and it was like I remember walking home after work it was summer and I was reading this is how like on my phone right and I came across this paragraph it's in the essay how to quit your drink um the book is this is how by Augustine Bros and he says in in 100% of the cases of people who uh, recovered from alcoholism they all did one thing they didn't drink they just didn't fucking do it and I was like, oh, right. I have to stop drinking. Like, it, it, it was like, it's so stupid, but it was like, I really wanted to have one foot in both worlds. Mm. You know, I wanted to somehow kind of drink a little bit still, but like be sober. And I think we do that in a lot of areas of, of our life, right? We don't go all in. We don't put both feet in because it seems too scary, but man, that purgatory is hell. And I remember sitting down when I read that and I was like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. I outlined, I think that entire book and yeah. just line after line after line, because it was so inspiring. One is as, as a writer of, mm. okay, the words that you're not putting out in the world are literally causing riots in your chest. Yes. So then thus the need to have things to quell them. Yes. Can you talk to people like what was the hard, 
I think we have a, a smattering of, of humans on this call of people who are giving, I'm doing a sober tober. So 30 days, you have a lot of people that have followed you that are, have, I know guys on this call who have 25 plus years. Yeah. People who are curious, who are like, yeah, this, this still sounds a little scary. What was the hardest part for you? And what was the unexpected easiest part for you? Mm. The thing that you're like, oh my God, I'll never go on a first date ever again. Or, and then whatever it was. The hardest part for me was I thought no one would ever love me again. Mm. Yeah. I think just hold that. Let's just hold that for a second because I think that's why most people don't start or stop doing the things they, they know are best for them. And so if that's you, just hold that for a moment. That's a profound statement. And thank you for saying it so honestly. Was that true? No. Yeah. No, I didn't even know. I didn't know how, how much I would be loved, how possible, how much, because I, I, I couldn't love fully either. Mm. Right. So, um, yeah, that was my biggest fear. And it was real, man. Like that kept me going for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, I was wrong about that. <laughs> you know, um, I get I get this question all the time. What am I gonna tell my friends? I'm like, so you're talking about this thing that's keeping you from living this dream life that like you've gone to the Tony Robbins workshops, you have the layout and you're not fucking doing it. And the thing is, how do you tell your friends you quit drinking? <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. But you know what? We are wired to care what people think. We are wired biologically through millions of years of uh, years of evolution. So I... And I was someone who cared a lot, a mm. whole lot. I think that's my mom, you know. So I have a lot of compassion for that. Um, and the, the best way I know around it or to work through it is to go, because this is what I did. Um, I said, okay, girl, like at the end of your life, are you seriously going to say, I cared so much about what other people think that I didn't do it. Mm. It's a big question, right? Yeah. It's a big question. Yeah. Like, independent of the good, op good opinion of other people, right? As Wayne There's nothing more freeing too, man. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. The thing that's is- a, That's too a journey too. It's not just like, hey. No. <clears throat> I remember Wayne Dyer telling the story about the day he wrote an essay saying he had completely given up. He's like, I've completely released myself of everybody else's opinion of me. And he sat around all weekend, like wondering what his professor thought of it. I was yeah. like, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh -huh. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a process, but man, you get a taste of that. Mm. And um, and your, your like soul just does like the double fist pump because that is freedom, you know? And what I will say too, is what am I going to tell my friends? Man, you're going to find out who your friends are and you're going to find other people who are doing the thing, the scary thing, the growth thing, the, the reaching thing. And, oh, those people are the best people, you know, they're worth knowing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's also fair to say that there is a transition period mm. that you may have this, you, you may not know what to do on Friday nights for a couple months until your new oh, tribe has adopted you or you found other people who live how you live. And that's okay. That's a really great opportunity to dive into other things or other expressions or just sitting with yourself. But do yeah. realize that on the other side, I completely agree with you, is this magical group of humans who don't think twice about whether drinking or not exists and no. are really amazing shit in the world. Real once okay, I sort of had this realization. I was like, every teacher that I have doesn't drink. Mm. Pema Shodan doesn't drink. Wayne Dyer doesn't drink. Brene Brown doesn't drink. Um, like go down the line, they don't drink. I put that together and I was like, huh. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, the the being the the sort of liminal space. I like to talk about liminal spaces. It's the between space where you're not quite, you're not where you're going, and you aren't where you were. And Richard Rohr says we should invite liminal spaces into our lives as much as possible. They're really beautiful spaces, and there yet there was a sign. There is no loneliness like the loneliness that I felt when I was getting sober. Mm. Um, Cause I, I was also unknown to myself, you know? Right. Um, and I, there, I remember reading this poem by David White and it's called the house of belonging. And there's this line, the end that goes, this is the temple of my adult uh, aloneness. And I belong to it. Like I belong to this life. Yeah. That's a sentence. Wow. That got me that, that, carried me a long way do you think that loneliness is the biggest trip up for people i think we're kind of all dying of loneliness Mm. i think we're i think loneliness is yeah i think it's a really big thing yeah um it's a because alcohol gives you the perception uh, or it makes you feel connected right but it kind of doesn't take you all the way home like it doesn't get you all the way there right you know um i would say it's the mcdonald's of connection but i don't want to <laughs> say that on this call maybe it's like what bell of connection <laughs> yeah it's it's junk food connection and the challenge is that your stomach's full but there's nothing in there and mm-hmm. so it is this loop of like, oh, I just need to get more. I just need to do it differently. Or we convince mm-hmm. ourselves that the conversation we had at the bar actually did mean something. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, but man, there is nothing like that. There was, it was the, it was the temple of my adult aloneness. Yeah. I wouldn't trade that time of really what felt like despair mm. for anything. Say more about that if you would, because I think that scares the shit out of people. Yeah, um, I was, I have always, had always been a person who busy, I I had a lot of people around me, right? I'm an Enneagram 7, I'm like new people, new things. I want all the experiences, I want all of this. And um, it was a very socially acceptable way to avoid myself for a long time and at first that it uh, you know 
what happens in uh, an empty space, right? You, you, you have to create an empty space for something new to come in and it's a vacuum, right? And, but I wouldn't let that empty space be there. Mm. And what I found when I, when I let that empty space be, there was, I was like, I was met, I met myself and I met what for me is I, I say, God, it's a, the mystery, right? Mm. I met the mystery. Right. Um, and that's something I can stand on now. I, you can't skip that part. You can't skip the middle part. That's where you, that's where you build your bones, you know, and I wouldn't be able to, this year probably would have wrecked me if I didn't have that, mm. you know, it's ver- like you, you went and sat in a dark room for 30 days, 28 days. days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know why that was useful. I didn't do that, but I sat in a lot of darkness, you know, and it's never, it's like, I don't know. It was so useful. It's so useful. We are, we are a, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Cal Newport's work. He wrote deep work and um, did in digital minimalism. Both are excellent, but he says that we are solitude deprived Mm. not like because say we always have our phones even when we're alone right what we what we don't have is solitude um the the not having influence of so many other minds and inputs right so it's not loneliness we don't need loneliness but we do need solitude Mm. like when's the last time you've heard yourself think or felt yourself feel right that wasn't just a reaction, you know, to whatever's going on. It's like that, that I wouldn't, I built my constitution in an entirely different way. Yeah. I think it's a great way to put it. It built your constitution. Hey folks, I hope you're loving this conversation with Laura. I want to take a moment to talk to the men listening. You guys, I have something called the uncivilized nation which is a brotherhood of men who get together and commune and support each other and are following my curriculum of how they go from civilized to uncivilized. And guess what? They don't do it alone. If you join between now and and January 1st, you're going to be grandfathered in at the $25 a month price. After January 1st, guys, it's going up and it's going up every year because I keep bringing in more and more fascinating speakers and offering more and more value. So if this is something you want to do, get in on it now. Go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the nation and come join the revolution. All right, back to Laura. It feels like, especially in culture now, we have no relationship to silence we have no relationship yeah. with space and we can talk back to, we have a, a dysfunctional relationship with pain. Mm-hmm. Can you speak on during that period of despair, did the pain that you were hiding from come up? Did you have to learn to alchemize it? Was it crushing? Was it inspiring? Can you just speak a little bit on pain for, I think I, the reason I'm asking the question is because I know it's waiting for a lot of people who do end up quitting. Mm-hmm. It's there. It's just been sitting there quietly pulling some strings in your life. But now it's like, okay, cool. There's space. Yeah. How did you deal with that? Yeah. 
Um, I rely a lot on literature and poets and teachers and um, I kept in my heart this, uh, this passage from Khalil Gibran about pain. Mm. And he says, pain is the breaking of the shell that, is, that encloses your understanding. So pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding and that your, it is, it is this, this, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Mm. And I, I internalized that, you know, I had, I had been skimming across the top of my life for so long. Right. But yeah, it sucked the, the heavy stuff. But I was also feeling a lot of joy and like really laughing for the first time in forever and like just spontaneous, like guttural laughter. And I could see my daughter, like mm. the full thing and I could be present. And it was like, that's what I was actually chasing you know, is to have a direct experience of life. Mm. That's what I wanted. And it, it first fucking hurts. Yeah. And it's not just the painful things that hurts. It's just a lot. Like if you're a empath and you're a, I mean, I guess any human, but I know that I feel a lot, you know, I feel a lot. I, I, I'll, it's a lot to be alive. You know, this human experience is like, uh, it's a lot, but man, that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted to, because the truth is when you allow feelings to move through you, they don't last that long. It's amazing. The energy we put into stuffing, repressing, avoiding. Right. And I, I learned a lot about I learned a lot. I learned a lot about psychology. I learned a lot about emotion. I learned a lot about mindfulness. And once you started, I started to think of emotions as like, this is good. This is energy moving through. This is breaking of the shell that encloses my understanding. That's how I dealt with it. You know, I turned to teachers and I started talking and telling the truth. And you know what else I did? And I I feel like this is so important. I started creating. I started writing. That was my method of creating. But everyone creates. I don't buy into the, I'm not an artist. It's not about being an artist. Your life is a creation, right? I started creating instead of destroying things. (laughs) And that, like there's nothing like that. There's nothing like the magic of that. Um, and it helped me understand my story. And once I started to, and you know, breaking the shell that enclosed my understanding, I had a story that I was a piece of shit. I was a liar, a cheater, a stealer. And I was like, I had done all those things. Right. But that wasn't my story. That's not the full story. And by the act of creating, for me writing, I got to understand my story. And like, that's, I think that's the magic of letting yourself feel through things. 
you know, you have the opportunity to create something from that. Yeah. It sounds like, and feels like that sobriety is the entry fee for intimacy Mm. with yourself, be that with your art, be that with another human, be that with pain, be that with the human experience. It's like, you don't get to do all of this stuff with that. And this is going to be a wild, it, it is wild, the ride of sobriety, the ride of, of, of life, of, of like, there's, this is why we have songs and love and poetry and music and all the shit, because it's a fucking ride. It's a ride. That's it's the, supposed it's, to be a ride. It's supposed to be a ride. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. It, you're not supposed to skim across the top. Like that's mm-hmm. what we get sold and what we think we want. Right. But yeah, I mean, if you think, so, so, uh, one of my teachers, Russ Hudson said, had a great definition of sobriety and it's, uh, the capacity to savor. Ooh. Right. Hmm. The capacity to savor. Yeah. It's not, fuck. Fuck, it's not <laughs> fucking not drinking, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, capacity yeah. to savor yeah. life. Yeah. Like sign me up, man. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what the inspiration was to start the Luckiest Club? Sure. Uh, it, the inspiration was the pandemic hit <laughs> and quarantine happened. And I was like, holy shit, people can't go to meetings. Right. They can't like it. And I had, you know, I had been doing this work for a while. Like I, I have a good community and I was like, I'll host meetings, you know, why not? So I started hosting free meetings. Okay. I did free meetings six days a week for like six weeks. I was out of my mind and it was awesome. I had speakers every time I was doing every, every one. And we were having hundreds of people show up. Mm. I was like, okay. And then I was just going to kind of quit it, you know, because it got to be a lot. And then I saw, I, I, I sort of told people, I was like, I'm trying to figure out what to do. And people were like, you know, I would pay a small, you know, I would pay a fee to be able to do this, like to experience this. Cause a lot of people never experienced a meeting. If you, it's like, if you don't go to AA and I know there are smart meetings and a couple others, but it is kind of the big one. And if you don't go to AA, then you don't experience what it's like to hear other people tell the stories. Right. And it's so powerful to do that. And I wasn't running AA meetings. I was just, I kind of did a DIY, like I created my own. And so I, I was like, all right, let's make this a thing. Um, so I put it together in like, you know, 10 days and there was born a new business <laughs> and another expression and another yeah. way to serve and another way to help people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you could give two separate pieces of advice and, or actually perhaps there may be the same mm-hmm. for people who are curious and on the fence, but are saying, this isn't really my issue in quotes, yeah. but I think this may be the the, I know that on the other side of it is something, I believe something more amazing. What is your advice to them? And then part two, for people who are like, I know this is the path I need to go, but I am scared out of my fucking mind. Yep. What is your advice to them? And is, is it different? Yeah, it is a little different. I think um, people that are just, they kind of have a feeling like a little voice is going, uh, this is going to keep you stuck. Yeah. Try it out man, try it out. Try stay sober for a couple of weeks, 30 days. You know, you don't, you don't have to 
you don't have to, at some point you got to make a move and just commit. But um, what I, this is the piece of advice that is the same for both groups is to forget forever. Yeah, right. It doesn't exist yeah. anyway. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't do that. Forget forever. It's a chapter in my book called forget forever. Cause for me forever was like, I didn't even know what that meant. It made, it filled me with so much despair and anxiety that I was like, I, I just can't. Right. So I just said, I'm not going to drink today. Mm. And that's what I'm going to do. If I want to drink tomorrow, I can drink tomorrow. And then guess what? Tomorrow came and I was like, I'm not going to drink today. Mm. but it was just the, it kept me in the moment, right? It kept me in what was going on right now. And that really is how we do everything (laughs) ultimately. So forget forever, you know? Um, And then eventually it got to a place where I was like, yeah, I'm never going to drink again, you know? And that was fine. And I could say it and feel good about it, but that didn't feel good for a long time. Yeah. Um, So try it on. I mean, there's a lot of people that are, the other piece I'll, I'll say, cause this was really motivating for me, even though I was like very far down the addiction path. Um, Wayne Dyer, back to Wayne Dyer, the OG guy. Uh, he ha- his, one of his teachers was Maslow, Maslow, Abraham Maslow. And um, uh, Maslow was like a mentor to him. And he, uh, Wayne Dyer used to drink a couple, few beers every night. He was a big runner. And then he'd come home and have his beers. It was like, no big deal, but he drank every night. And Maslow was like, you know, I've no, if you want to achieve the things that I know you want to achieve and that you can achieve, alcohol has no place in your life. I was like, Oh, that's something, mm-hmm. right? If you want to get where you're going, alcohol has no place in your life. Mm-hmm. That is what I would say. I think that's true for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Um, and for the people that are scared shitless, yeah, I know. But you don't have to decide anything. What I would say is come to a, a TLC meeting. Go to just hear other people talk about what it's like for them. You can watch. You can just listen. And you can let it wash over you. You're in a process. It's a process, right? Um, it is scary. It's scary. Um important things are scary. You know, they always are. Um, our ego freaks out when we threaten it with change. Right. It's doing its job. Right. Yeah. I have a sense that COVID and the lockdown and the quarantine has kicked so much up for people. Mm. Uh, I know the statistics, if they're accurate on all consumption rates are exponentially what they were six months ago. Yeah. And on some level, I understand and say, yeah, yeah that it makes, it actually makes perfect sense to me. Of course. Why wouldn't it be? Right. And, and yet the opportunity is so ripe to say, okay, under pressure, if this is how I act, what would happen if I had a different path, if I had a different skill set, if I had a different avenue where I could take this same pressure and move it forward? do you have or what would you say to people specifically who are struggling under the quarantine i know it's not we're not quarantined but this current situation and and does it change like has your messaging changed for people who say like but i don't have anything to do i don't have anywhere to go i can't join my friends i literally am i'm doing this to try to just stay sane 
I know it's a hard question, a bit of a loaded question. No, it's all right. It's not. Um, I don't know that my messaging has changed. I mean, it's changed in that the world has changed. So, you know, it'd be totally tone deaf to not recognize that. And, and there is a lot of compassion for situations that people are in. I've had a lot of people, I hate the word relapse, but I don't know what else to call it, you know, that drank again after having short or long-term sobriety that have said, you know, this happened and this happened and my dream died because my business died and whatever. And, and I went back to it and, um, I get that absolutely as you do. Um, I also, for me feel like what a time to be awake, Mm. you know, um, what a time to be awake. And that's not said in a shaming way at all. It's not like if you're not doing it, you know, shame on you. It's more like how you do this really matters. And, you know, I, I equate it to this. When I got, when I got um, divorced, starting to get divorced, um, my mom, who has been divorced a few times, said to me like, you're going to remember how you do this for the rest of your life. Do this with as much integrity as you can yep. because you're going to remember it. It matters. And I feel that way about this time, mm. you know, it matters. Yeah. You know, it matters. And if you fall down, it's all coming back. You're allowed to come back again and again and again and again and again. Yeah. Um, begin again. Begin again. Right. There's a lot of help. There's a lot of support if you want it. You know, like my program alone has, we have two to three meetings a day, 17 opportunities every week to connect. You know, and if alcohol isn't your thing, there, that's the other, the other side of this is that people have come forward. Like a lot of people have come forward with, um, with programs and ways to reach out and and help. So like, it's, yeah, I want to say something that doesn't sound very nice, but, but it, for me, I am the person that needs a tough love because I left, I let myself off the hook very much too easily. So uh, someone once said to me, like, if you keep arguing for excuses, you get to keep them. I was like, yes, thank you. And I didn't, that wasn't something I came up with or they came up with. It's like, someone said that someone can fact check me and put it, put the author in the, you know, but do the best you can. And, and you know, some, the, the thing that I think is great about this time is like, we are forced to keep it in the day. We mm-hmm. don't know what's happening mm-hmm. tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Beautiful. I've looked at this time as, so many of us have the opportunity to break through a membrane. And I keep coming back mm. to that term and that idea. And mm, I, I love that membranes oftentimes is having a little sign above the, the way you're going to punch through. And it mm. says, not all the shit gets to come with you. Mm-hmm. I felt the exact same way you did, which was yeah. the other side of this membrane, our books, our talks, our workshops is a movement, is everything that we sit around fantasizing about when drinking and getting high yeah. and doing all the things, but we ain't doing it over here. Yeah. But man, that, that door was clear. You either get to go back here and keep hanging out and wishing and wanting and hoping, or you get to pass through. Yeah. But 
alcohol numbness and a lack of presence doesn't get to come with you. No, man, that is a perfect metaphor. The membrane. like, thank you. So for those of you who feel like you're, you're, you're like, you've bumped into the membrane, you've like (laughs) bounced off it. You see it, find this woman, find this group. Laura, where can people get more of you? When they, when they, um, yeah, you can go on, on my website, uh, is, which is my name, lauramccown.com. And um, I'm on Instagram. That's my favorite. So you can find stuff there. Everything's on my website, my programs, my, you know, all of that is, is there. So brilliant. This is the, the most awful question I ask every speaker and guest. So I'm going to throw it right at you. <laughs> if anyone in this elite gathering of humans of an audience could help you or support you personally, what could they do? Is there someone you need to be connected to? Is the stage you want to speak on? Is there a, oh, I what, what hate do we do? this question. Good. <laughs> I hate it. Oh. Um, um, sure. Here, my, I'm working with an executive producer. I'm coming out with a podcast of my own again, another podcast. And we just pitched it to Spotify and a couple other students. If anyone's connected to the Cadence 13 or Spotify or any of those that are doing programming for podcasts, send me an email. There you go, folks. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We have something bigger than our drinking. It's- I like that you asked that. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, it, I know it's an awful quote. When I was asked, I was like, nothing. Buy my book. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story, for creating yeah. the space you, you have. I've watched some of the comments say that the luckiest club saved my life. And you just never know the downstream effect of those, those ripples of all the people who you will never meet. So thank you on, on behalf of me, behalf of the audience, and behalf of just humanity. Yeah. Just us you. humans. Thank you so much. Us humans. Thank yeah. you. You have such great energy, and it was awesome to share this thank with you. you. Beautiful. And for all you people, I really appreciate you giving your time, your energy, and your thoughts. Uh, Please look Laura up. If you're interested in men's work or what I do, please go to www.manuncivilized.com. If you're burping this month, keep burping. If you're sober in this month, keep sobering. Stay together too. If you've got someone on this call, like, oh, I know that person. Maybe reach out and get some connection going. Have a David B has my book. What are you doing? Someone, I know, I know. Look at this. You're famous. Wow. Are you sleeping with my buddy? I literally went and bought it today after I got the email from Travers. Oh, oh my God. That's so awesome. You went to a bookstore yeah. and bought it? I did. Yay. There's a lot of meaning to this for me specifically today. So thank you guys. Oh, Man, I'm so glad. Welcome to the journey. Glad. Thank you. All right, you guys have a lovely night. We'll catch you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Laura. Thank you. This is Traver Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.